Week 42, still in the Beatitudes, the last week of the Beatitude. This is persecuted for righteousness' sake. It's actually sort of a double Beatitude. It's longer than the others. I guess you could split it up into two, but traditionally there would be called eight Beatitudes. This would be the eighth, and you'll see that it's talking about the same thing in both of these verses, or all three of these verses. Matthew 5, 10 through 12, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So we put these together, and I'm just calling it a double beatitude. It says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then in verse 11 and 12, you just get the same thing said with more detail. Blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. That's parallel to being persecuted for righteousness' sake. And then it says, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. That parallels theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he ends it with saying, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's always been true that God's people on earth will be uh, in one degree or another reviled, persecuted, or spoken evil against falsely. But this is a beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Oh, what does that mean to be persecuted for righteousness sake? It means that your commitment to obey God, that's righteousness, your commitment to obey God has caused others to hate you, afflict you, and slander you. Hate, I get from that word revile in verse 11, afflict you from the word persecute, and slander from the phrase utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. That's what slander is. Righteousness is a commitment, a commitment to obey God. And what he says is true. What he says is moral. What he says is right. What he says is ethical. Commitment to obey God caused others to persecute us. And so it did with Jesus. Right? And in verse 11, he uses the prophets who came before us as an example, but who's the climactic example of this? Doing God's will and being hated for it. Doing God's will and being persecuted for it. Doing God's will and being killed for it. Jesus. Jesus. And number one, persecution is rebellion against God that's taken out against God's people. Does that make sense? So that just from a conceptual level, there's on earth rebellion against God. When that rebellion is directed personally to God's people, that's persecution. John 15, beginning in verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. And that's Jesus talking. So the world hated Jesus. And then uh, as the ongoing reality of that rebellion, it now hates his church and his disciples. Just for the sake of time, skim down to verse 21, although I encourage you to read that passage on your own time. Uh, Verse 21, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name. See it there? They're doing it to you, but they're doing it against him. They're doing it because of his name. They're doing it because you're preaching Christ. You're worshiping Christ. You're trying to get others to worship Christ. 
So they'll, they'll persecute you on account of him because they do not know him who sent me. It's because they don't know God the Father. So it is rebellion against God, but it's in a particular way when it's taken out against God's people. That's persecution. Number two, persecution will teach us to rely on God more and more. At least it should. This is God's purpose for his people during persecution. It does have a practical application for us. It will teach us to rely on God more and more. And I'll read this whole passage here in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 to 11, just so you can get a, a, a grasp of what Paul had been going through. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. That was persecution against him because of the gospel. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also may help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Now, Paul was suffering. Paul was rejected. Not by everybody. You know, there were conversions where Paul ministered the gospel. And there was persecution. There were people who came to love God because of Paul's ministry. But there were also people whose hate for God just got stoked up and intensified and they took it out against him. But he says, the end of verse 9, it was to make him and the other apostles and other ministers rely not on themselves, but on God who raises the dead. Number three, you can overcome persecution through faith in Jesus as the Son of God. 1 John 5, 4 through 5. Everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? The spiritual victory in persecution is not giving up your confession of faith. The spiritual victory in persecution is not leaving Jesus. It's not leaving your faith in Jesus as the Son of God. Because even if you are executed for your faith, you will go to be with Jesus, your Savior. And that does not always happen in persecution, but it does happen. Some people are thrown in prison. Uh, Their things are confiscated. Their family torn apart. Some people are tortured. Paul was physically tortured and beaten. And some people are executed for their faith. But that does not take away what we have in Jesus. That cannot take away our inheritance in heaven. So, therefore, faith is our victory. Faith is our victory. Number four, God uses persecution for testing and for the testing and spiritual growth of his children. Now, this is not Satan's motive in persecuting the church. But behind the scenes of everything, in the secret wisdom of God's providence, he will use persecution to help us grow in our faith, to grow us spiritually. James 1, 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. You know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. 
Now, I didn't underline anything in those verses, but if you were to underline, you could underline trials of various kinds. And in the context, it is talking about persecution. And then also later in that, uh, in verse 3, testing of your faith. Testing of your faith. God is using trials as a testing of our faith. And what that's going to do, what that's going to do, now here's one you would want to circle, not, not underline, you want to set it apart. The last two words of verse 3 produces steadfastness. It helps us to stand firm in the faith. It helps us to be faithful. Steadfastness. That's the goal of the testing of our faith. So are there difficult times as Christians? Yes. Are there seasons of intense trial? And we can even be distraught and may struggle with some doubts on different things. Not being skeptical. But through these times of testing, God wants to produce within us a greater steadfastness, a stronger faith. Verse 4, let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That's simply a phrase for spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity. I love that word, or the phrase, full effect. If the testing will produce steadfastness, which is a stronger faith, and then steadfastness, will we'll then have a full effect. It will help us to grow in other areas and to be mature. It's simply talking about a process of maturation or of maturing. And the point is God will use persecution for testing and spiritual growth of his children. So when we're, if we're being persecuted or hated for our faith or slandered for our faith, we don't want to be consumed with what the devil is doing and how the world hates me We're aware of those things, but we want to be consumed with what is God doing? How does God want me to grow? How will God strengthen me? This is the perspective of faith. No matter what's happening around us or to us or in us, our hearts are fixed on God. What is God doing? What does God want? How do I cry out to God? He must always be our focus. Um, Number five, God uses persecution for the advance of the gospel and the building of of the church. This is a great, great section of the book of Acts where persecution, murder, imprisonment, hatred, publicly, persecution breaks out against the church. But that sets the tone for the storyline of the rest of Acts where the gospel then spreads throughout the whole known world powerfully and rapidly and effectively. Anyway, God used persecution to begin that spread. Acts 1, 8 through 4, and Saul approved of his execution. Do you remember who that's talking about, who was executed? Stephen. Saul approved of it, a sort of a ringleader in this picture. In the middle of verse 1, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, and Samaria, except for the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made a great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. You see, it wasn't just Stephen who was persecuted. Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Could you imagine that happening in Jarrettsville? 
Persecution, house to house persecution, dragging Christians out into the streets and then ultimately getting them in prison. Verse four, verse four. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. You see, they weren't frightened. They didn't give up on their faith, but rather the persecution that spread them out. God had used to spread his word out. And that's how people get saved and God gets glorified. And finally, what is their reward? What is their reward in heaven? Because remember the beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is what's their reward? Their reward is eternal rest with God. It said in um, it said in verse 12 also. That's where I'm getting this phrase from. Look at verse 12 on the front. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Your reward is great in heaven. God is our reward. God is our reward. He's in heaven. The the reward of the child of God is eternal rest with God. And I was tempted to put as an answer here uh, to the question, what is our reward? I was tempted to put simply God. God is our reward. But I want to be more specific because we already have a relationship with God. We already know God by faith through Christ in the gospel. Our eternal reward in heaven will be being with God, entering into eternal rest with God forever. We'll know him in a closer sense, in a different way, by sight, not just by faith. So our reward, our future reward, our full reward is eternal rest with God And then eventually, you know, after Christ returns, we'll enjoy that reward by possessing a resurrection body and the consummate glory of all things. So, have you ever been rejected for your faith, hated or reviled for your faith, made fun of for your faith, persecuted, kicked out of a friend group for your faith? Anyone ever lied about you for your faith or made a false assumption about you for your faith? Well, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I didn't put it on here, but it's a great point of practical application. Jesus also says we pray for those who persecute us. We love our enemies. We don't turn against them in hate, but we are to be missionaries, servants, good examples doesn't mean we let people walk all over us, but the point is we have a burden for the lost, not a hatred for the lost. We pray for those who persecute us, and we love our enemies. And that is, uh, we get into detail with that when we talk about the commandments, what it means to love our neighbor as ourself. Let's go ahead and pray. Father.